Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. 
One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from San Diego, California, and in particular the Hard Rock Hotel on this first weekend in March. Hard to believe it's the first weekend in March, but it is. You know, last year we did the show from the Hard Rock. I got a chance to meet my next guest. And, of course, I've been a fan ever since. I've been a fan of what he does and what we're about to talk about for a long time since I first came down to San Diego as a young reporter for Newsweek back in 1971. Ooh, I'm dating myself. Um, And, you know, you come into the harbor, you see all the planes flying over North Island, uh, the aircraft carriers are down here, the Navy's got such a big presence. Uh, And yet, it's more than just the Navy, it's, it's what was developed here in San Diego in terms of aviation and aviation history. There's a reason why they call it Lindbergh Field. And joining me now, the chief curator and director of restoration at the San Diego Air and Space Museum, Terry Brennan. Nice to see you again, sir. Hi, Peter. Thank you. You heard my introduction. I call it Lindbergh Field for a reason, right? Well, you call it Lindbergh Field because that was the name of it when they dedicated it back in 1928, yes. Right, but they named it after? Charles Lindbergh, of course. That's right. And where was that plane built? Well, the plane was built right on Lindbergh Field. Uh, it wasn't, as I say, it wasn't Lindbergh Field at the time. But if it, it had built, been, that would, that would have started a conspiracy it, theory. <laughs> right, it sure would have. <laughs> now, it was built right there on the airport by the, by the Ryan Airlines Company. Right, and called the Spirit of St. Louis. It was called the Spirit of St. Louis because the financial backing for the Spirit of St. Louis came from a group of St. Louis businessmen who sponsored Lindbergh's program. So basically, it's no longer, it's no, no different than naming rights at a stadium. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> but that plane's not here. That plane is in the Smithsonian Institute in uh, Washington, D.C. But you've got some other great planes here. Well, in fact, we built actually three replicas of the um, of the Spirit of St. Louis. One of them, the first one uh, back in 1971 uh, that was flown back then, and uh, but it was lost in the fire that consumed the museum in 1978. So everything that was in the museum was was lost. Total uh, to, loss. To an, ars- yeah, to an arsonist. We built the second. Uh, did Spirit. they ever solve the crime? No, they never did. Never did. Wow. But the second one then was built uh, that is now hangs in the, over the baggage claim area in the Lindbergh Field. Uh, and the third one we built... And by uh, the way, the rule is that you might get your baggage faster than it took Lindbergh to cross the Atlantic. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, the third one is now in the museum. It is also a flyer that we flew in 2003. Now, obviously, <clears throat> being the head guy of restoration, I mean, are you, you're still getting stuff to work on. Oh, absolutely. We're having a lot of fun done uh, in the restoration area right now. We're, uh, we're still working on, we probably were when you were here before, a 1935 Hughes H-1 racer. The racer was the second most famous airplane that Hughes built, the Spruce Goose being the first one. No, but that wasn't, the, the racer was not the one he crashed on the golf course. Uh, no, that was a later airplane. The racer, he crashed in a different field when he ran out of fuel in it when he was doing the speed runs back in 1935. So interestingly enough, here's, here's Hughes who crashes twice. One almost killed him in terms of the fire. He got pulled out by an off-duty Marine. And then, of course, the Spruce Goose itself actually got airborne, but not very far. Yeah, no, it just kind of whistled just barely off the water before it was settled back on again. And that was the only time it ever flew. That's right. Now, that's up in Oregon now. It's in McMinnville, Oregon, in the museum up there, yes. What would you say is your most prized possession? Um, it could well be the Spirit of St. Louis that we that actually, when we say a replica, we mean that this is a an aircraft that was that was helped to be produced by the the original people that built the original airplane. So there were hands-on, including Claude T. Ryan, who turned a couple of wrenches on our Spirit of St. Louis to make it the replica that it is. Now, when you, you know, you had the fire in 78, that was almost, what, 40 years ago? Right, yeah. So in 40 years, you have a, you've had a chance to really build everything, or rebuild it, I should say. We really have. The, the museum right now is magnificent. It's just, it's just one of the finest displays of chronolo- chronology of aviation and space history. 
uh, anywhere uh, in the country, and we're, we're very, very proud of it. And people forget that San Diego had such a role to play in the development of aviation. Oh, wow, it sure did. Uh, the, the, the Navy began its flight uh, program right here on North Island. Uh, was, was Jimmy Doolittle here? Uh, Jimmy Doolittle was not here for any length of time. You know, I'm sure he made it to San Diego once or twice, but right. he was not here on a, any kind of a permanent basis. But what was here was an enormous, enormous aviation industry, uh, primarily consolidated. And Ryan, uh, during World War II, at one time consolidated during World War II, employed 35,000 San Diegans to, uh, to build uh, B-24s. Wow. And then, of course, you've got naval aviation, uh, you know, right in front of us, you've got, what, is, it, is it the Midway? Yes, the USS Midway Museum is, a, is the Midway carrier, uh, CV number 41. And you got planes on that? All kinds of planes on there. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. A TV personality. Did you like that one, Troy? Thank you very much. You got it, yeah. Troy Johnson. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I've actually been into Mama's Kitchen and, and seen their entire operation. I emceed one of their major fundraisers one year. Such a great organization. I mean, people kind of forget that you know AIDS is still going on. You know, and it's funny because people thought that, you know, since it's a controllable disease, people weren't really suffering. But the numbers that they have is staggering how many families deal with that in San Diego. And they bring them hot meals. Awesome. And because people, you know, it is a debilitating situation, and it isolates you. Absolutely isolates. I mean, you're on your own island in life regardless, you know, and then you get a debilitating disease, and you're just even more so. Yeah, it's a great organization. Well, great. I'm glad you had some experience there because now you can just endorse what I just did, which is great. Yeah, I mean, now people yeah. need to know you can come on vacation to San Diego and involve yourself. Exactly. You know, and that's what it seems like that's a better way to live life. You know, go be totally self-absorbed and about me, me, me for half your vacation and do that. You deserve it. And then spend time actually investing in the community and doing some things and making yourself feel better because at the end of the day, I think that charity is a little bit selfish because you feel really good. It's like you get a runner's high of, you know. Yeah, but here's the difference. And I think you bring up a very good point. There are a lot of people who will, you know, go to an orphanage and write a check. Uh-huh. You know? Yep. That's a little bit different than what we're talking about. Absolutely. We're talking, about, and they'll feel good about that, and, 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 and that's great. People need the money. I get it. But then there's participatory charity. Yeah. And that's when you can actually get in, roll up your sleeves, and get involved, not just like by handing out a pencil in Africa, but by really helping out. Yeah, and one of the things that I read, it was one of those interesting stats that they found that the wealthiest people in the world, or the people that acquired most wealth, were the ones that gave their, most of their time in the beginning of their career. Not near the end of the career when they had all that money and all that time and they're retired, but in the beginning. Because you're basically giving back to the community. I think it's kind of like a, uh, I don't know, call it karma. Call it just, you know, investing yourself in a community and people actually see that and care. It's called, yeah. it, we'll call it being evolved. Exactly. How about that? Yeah. All right, so now, speaking of food, here we are at the Hard Rock. Yes, there's a Nobu here. Mm-hmm. You can't ignore that. No. The miso cod, I get it. The miso cod is fantastic. You know, when, when this opened, I actually sat in a room with Nobu and, um, oh, now I'm going to forget his name. One of the most popular actors in the world is one Robert of the, De Niro. Robert De Niro. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was sitting in, in this room with, with them and doing this interview, and there was lighting fixtures and everything, and all of a sudden, Robert De Niro's face just was struck with horror. 
And I go, what is he looking at me like that for? I'm like, did I say something to offend him? The lighting fixture was falling directly onto my head. Three seconds later, just took me out. Robert De Niro's like, what? what are, oh, my God, the guy's getting sabotaged. But, I mean, this is, with Nobu here, I mean, this was kind of, kind of one of the biggest flagships that opened in San Diego. San Diego didn't get Nobu's for a long time. They didn't get the Hard Rock Hotels. You know, that went to L.A., that went to Phoenix, that went to other, you know, A-list cities. You know, we got a Coco's. You know, that sort of thing, you know. <laughs> Chili's. We got a Chili's. Thank you very TGIF, much. TGIF, baby. Yeah. You still have a TGIF in, uh, in Gasland. We do. I know. I mean, Gasland's so interesting because when I, I was growing up here, this was a good place to get mugged. This is a good place to separate you from body parts and or your money. You know, I remember all my parents for friends saying, you don't go downtown. And then Horton Plaza opened up and it changed it all. You know, you had places like Croce's, you know, Jim Croce's spot. His, his widow uh, was actually on this show a couple of times because they, they had the restaurant there. Yeah. But now they, they, they moved, right? They did. Well, they moved it up, to, up into like Bankers Hill area, which is just up the hill above, kind of perched over the airport and downtown. And then they eventually had to close it because apparently people don't like live music anymore. You know, especially jazz and blues. Oh, wait a second. There's live music in Gasland. Yeah. Jazz and blues, though, is really hard. That, hurt, that hurts my soul a little bit. But jazz and blues, if you do EDM or if you dress up like a mouse and push some buttons on a laptop, yes. Yeah, that's, that's when you're going to get a lot of people down. Well, that's when you're a DJ getting $100,000 a night at, at, at some club in e- Vegas. Exactly, yeah. So this, I mean, when Nobu came here, it was t- world-class sushi. I mean, everything's com- completely fresh. They do the fresh one, wasabi even, which is a completely different f- flavor profile than the yeah, fake Okay, let's fresh. talk about wasabi for a second, because I'm, I'm getting a wasabi education now. Uh-huh. There are a lot of uh, sushi places that will give you wasabi, but it's not the real thing. No, it's horseradish and green food coloring. Isn't that crazy? Everything that you know about wasabi, that everybody thinks wasabi is, you know, that kind of, um, you know, guacamole-looking Play-Doh thing, that is horseradish, straight-up green food coloring. You know, when you get a real wasabi root, which you can really only grow in Japan, and now they're actually growing it a little bit in Oregon, it grows in the water, um, aquaponically, and, you know, you get it, it's really almost sweet. It's not as bitter and harsh as horseradish is. You know, it's a completely different animal. Okay, so how do you know? When you go to a, when you go to a restaurant, Nobu or otherwise, yeah. and they bring the wasabi to the table, yeah. right? How do you know? If they bring it to you and it looks like Play-Doh, it's definitely not wasabi. Yeah, wasabi root, they'll actually do it here at Nobu. They'll bring out a shark skin um, sieve and they'll, ru- they'll run the root over it. And it basically looks like, kind of looks like cucumber, kiwi, you know, and it's got a little, it's got a little pinch of heat. It's got that gasoline heat that disappears in your tongue in two seconds. <laughs> All right, so Nobu opened and started changing things around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when Hard Rock Hotel opened and Nobu, it was really one of our first, you know, like world-class chef restaurants that came into downtown, you know, and it solidified downtown. And, and it made it a scene. It made it a scene for sure. Yeah, it, I remember coming to this hotel one summer a couple of years ago because they're celebrating, what, their 10th anniversary now. Uh-huh. There was a line on a Sunday Yeah. that went for like five blocks and went, what could they possibly be doing mm-hmm. if they wanted to get to the pool? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This pool side up here has been um, responsible for, for multiple premature births in America. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, just, it's a really libidinous place up there. And, you know, it's San Diego. You know, there is, it is a place um, where you can, you know, be al fresco as a person. You know, because you don't need much clothes because it's 75 degrees. You know, so that pool scene was the hottest scene in town. They got a couple clubs. No booze here, obviously. And it was the place to see NBC. And you were there. 
Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, th- those first couple of months that we were there, I mean, it was just everybody coming down from L.A. And it felt like, oh, L.A. wants to come here now. How cute. They're like, <laughs> San Diego got something. You know, it was like I felt like, you know, it was like I lived in a, I lived in a town that finally got its first stoplight. You know what I mean? It was just all like <laughs> horses and, and stop signs. And then we get that light. It's so like, you went from <laughs> and then boom, boom. Yeah. That. Just, wow. <laughs> Amazing. All right. But that started. But then Gas Lamp got transformed as well because, for sure. I mean, yes, they always had restaurants and stuff, but all of a sudden it exploded. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's really taken off the Gas Lamp. I mean, it's it's solidified now. I mean, it, it'll never go back, you know, to the the kind of wasteland that it was, you know, and, and it's it's moved a little bit. I mean, it's even to start developing East Village. Like the, the fringes are just keep on growing and growing and growing. East Village has some of the cooler, you know, neighborhoods. I mean, restaurants in we'll, San Diego. We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Now, by the way, Nobu's not the only Japanese place in Gas Lamp. No. There's Full Moon. Yep. You like that place? Yeah, really good. There's Taka Sushi, which is Taka Sushi is a tiny little sushi joint. Really well done. You know, that that's one of my favorites. Just on the fringe of the gas lamp, you have Cafe Chloe, which is one of the most quaint French bistros. You walk in and you're immediately 300% more attractive. You know, it just it's just so quaint and so beautiful. I, I could use that right about yeah, now. Yeah, you know, so I mean, if you ever want to feel good about yourself, you know, that room just makes you feel sexy. Well, but you know what you just said, which is great. If you've just given me a branding idea for a restaurant. If you really want to feel good about yourself, come eat with us. Exactly. Yes, yes. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Hard Rock Hotel in San Diego. It's hard to believe they've been here 10 years, but they have. And uh, I've been here almost all those years as well, just because of where it's located. You know, it's right across from the convention center. It's walking distance to Petco when they used to have a football team. Uh, yeah, we know that. Yeah, that hurt people. Yeah, thank you. We're talking to Troy Johnson, who's the food critic and editor-at-large of San Diego Magazine. All right, now we, we've talked about Gas Lamp, and they're mm-hmm. celebrating 150 years. Isn't that crazy? I mean, crazy, right? There's yeah. history here. There is history here. Started by a bunch of Portuguese fishermen in a little place called Point Loma. Well, yeah. wasn't that San Francisco too? Yeah, right. Yeah, fishermen. And Hawaii, there were a lot of Portuguese there. Yeah, fishermen were the real, you know, like Lewis and Clarks. You know, wherever, wherever there's food, that tends to build a city. Right. <laughs> but I remember when I first came down here, and that was 71 when I was a correspondent for Newsweek, there wasn't decent seafood. There really wasn't. Oh, no. No. I mean, they, they had the ant, was it Anthony's? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Anthony's Fish Grotto. Yeah. Yeah, Anthony's just lost its lease. And, and Anthony's Fish Grotto. I, I went there because I had no other choices. Yep. And and I went there and I figured, okay, they can't mess this up. And I had I think I had fried clams. Uh-huh. And they were okay because with enough tartar sauce, anything tastes good. Absolutely. Deep fry my shoe, my friend, and I will eat it. With enough yeah. tartar sauce. With enough tartar sauce, especially. Right? Yeah. But things have changed. Things have changed for sure. I mean, you know, it's been, it probably hit about, I would say about 2006, 2004 to 2006, you know, the food revolutions, you know, sparked by the proliferation of media around food, you know, the celebrity chef rise, you know, really hit every secondary market. And San Diego was one of those, you know, before then we were a culinary wasteland. It was like, Hey, do you want to go to this chain or would you rather go to that chain? One of them says artisanal on it. That's, that's all we know. You know, it was like our artisanal chain gruel. That was what we had. You know? And then we started getting... ACG. ACG. Wow. Artisanal chain gruel. 
Yeah. Wow. So, so I mean, it really, it really did t um, take off. Okay, wait, I got to stop you right now. Yeah. Is there a chain that you, Troy Johnson, will actually go to? You know what I love, actually, is a true food chain. True Food is True Food Kitchens based on Sam, uh, Dr. Andrew Wheel, who was with Oprah. And he of has course. an anti-inflammatory anti diet, you know, and he basically did, wanted to create like a really healthy, you know, uh, menu with real chefs. So we hired one of San Diego's first farm-to-table chefs to create this menu, a real deal chef. And so that whole place is basically... And it's called what? True Food Kitchen. It's out of the the restaurant group is actually a Fox Restaurant Group, which is Phoenix, and they open one here in Fashion Valley Mall. So if you're ever in the mall, I personally don't love to go to the malls, but I do have a daughter, so she she likes big shiny things, you know, and, and big shiny places. How's so the we, food there? Um, it's a food is fantastic. I mean, they have a chia seed pudding that's unbelievable. What, what? chia seed pudding? As opposed to a chia pet? Yeah, exactly. So think <laughs> chia seeds. Almost think about like, like tapioca. It's tapioca for hippies. That's really what it is, you know, and it's fantastic. And then they've got this deconstructed lasagna, you know, that's just like lemon ricotta and ugh, it's fantastic. I'm messing with my mic. That's okay. You're so excited to hit the mic. I know. I mean, it's, it's really, it is a really good concept and it's well executed. And you eat there and you don't feel, it's like when you eat sushi, you know, you don't feel like you need to sleep for four and a half days. You know, you don't feel like you need to go invest in new pants. You know, it, it really makes you feel good when you leave there. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so there's one chain you go to. And then In-N-Out, of course. Well, okay, let's talk about In-N-Out, because that's a California phenomenon. <laughs> it is. You know, you know how I learned about In-N-Out? I'm not making this up. Back in Gulf War I, they had seized some American Marines in the, in the desert, and they came and they rescued them, and they got them out, and they flew them back to California. But before they flew them out to California, they, they landed at Wiesbaden in Air Force Base in Germany, because that's where they process all the hostages when they come home, and they give them medical right. exams. And the first thing they said to these guys is, what do you want to do when you get back? And the guy goes, I want to double-double. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, no. It, that, that just screams home. That just screams home. I mean, that really is. Like, in San Diego, there's a couple things. There's an In-N-Out burger, and then there's Roberto's. There's Roberto's Mexican food. Roberto's is not the most high-quality Mexican food by any means, but it was the first, and it became the icon of whenever we leave and go to college, we go to get married. you got to come back to Roberto's. Roberto's and get three-rolled tacos with guacamole and just feel bad about yourself for the rest of the day. But you got to do it. And then what do you actually order at the, uh, the In-N-Out? Oh, In-N-Out, double-double animal style every single time. Okay, now, okay, stop right now, because not everybody listening to this show <laughs> knows that, what, what we're talking about. Animal style is basically, think about way back in the day when McDonald's had that Thousand Island dressing that they would just glop On the Big Macs. all over the Big Macs. Right. I think that they've actually taken down the, the Thousand Island dressing quotient a little bit, maybe in the, press of the, the preserving of America. I think that was a very, <laughs> very nice thing of them to do, but it doesn't taste quite the same. Now, animal style is... Is, is basically in and out's Thousand Island dressing on that double double. It's just wet and gr gross, and it just gets all over you. You know, it's it's fantastic. And one the reason why I love In and Out so much too is you know that Thomas Keller, one of the greatest chefs in yeah. America, obviously, you know, at the French Laundry, at his employee parties, he will get In and Out for all of. <laughs> All so basically, the joke's on us. The joke is, he's like, he's like, look, I'm gonna charge you eighteen hundred dollars for a twelve course meal. But You're when gonna... I'm feeding my guys, it's <laughs> in and out animal style. Oh my god! There you go. Keep that going. This is Flight Three Seven Two on SWA. The flight attendants on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. 
My name is David and I'm here to tell you that Shortly after takeoff, first things first There's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler Alcoholic beverages will be $4 If a monster energy drink is your plan That'll be $3 and you get the whole can We won't take your cash, you gotta pay with plastic Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. We've been talking to Troy Johnson, the food critic, editor-at-large, and in-and-out consumer, for those people on the West Coast who Proud. even know what an in-and-out is. Yes. Um, Troy... You mentioned something in the last segment that I want to go back to, and that is starting back, let's say, in 2004, 5, and 6, yeah. you know, the whole concept of the celebrity chef. Mm-hmm. Today, everybody's a celebrity chef. <laughs> I mean, it's like if, you, if you're not a celebrity chef, I don't think you're a chef. Yeah, it really is true. The, the word, the phrase celebrity chef has definitely taken a little bit of a shine off of it, for sure. You know, because nowadays you, you get on the local morning show, you know, and, and, and you're a celebrity chef. And you're a celebrity chef, exactly. I'm like, I've been on a podcast. I'm a celebrity chef. No, I'm not ripping on podcasts, you know. But I mean, the, the, everybody claims to be a celebrity chef because, you know, they were in their local um, college alumni newspaper, you know. So, yeah, it's really hard to trust a lot of it. But in San Diego, we do have back to back. They actually share a wall. And in fact, one of these. Back to back what? They're back to back top chef alums. And Richard Blaze who actually won Top Chef All-Stars, and Brian Malarkey, who came in, I think, like, second or third on Top Chef a a bunch of seasons ago. And he has seersucker restaurants down here in downtown, and he's got Herringbone in L.A. and in La Jolla. And they share a wall. Two two restaurants called, one is Brian Malarkey's is Urban Wood, and then Juniper and Ivy is Richard Blaze's. Um, Brian Malarkey has threatened to cut a hole in that wall so he can relentlessly taunt Richard Blaze, nonstop. <laughs> and he also said he was going to do other things, and I'm not... I'm not but, yeah. that, but it hasn't happened yet. No, no. no. Okay. But, they're, but they're both killing it over in Little Italy, which is... Little Italy... Well, let's it, talk about Little Italy. Yeah, it where, is. Where is it in San Diego? Okay, so you're talking... that That is the, the stretch of waterfront. Actually, it used to be the waterfront until they dredged the harbor, and it receded about four or five blocks. But Little India Street is what runs right through it, and it's just northwest uh, of downtown, northwest of the gas. On the water? Basically on the water, a couple blocks away. And it's where everything is... And all these old warehouses that kind of laid bare. And you've got Ironside Fish and Oyster, which has the best lobster roll in San Diego, hands down. They would do an entire pound of Maine lobster meat in that roll. I have, I have lost my soul to that thing many times. I've dedicated it. It's my religion. You know, and then you've got Urban Wood. I just thought they have fried clams. No? <laughs> they, they do have an oyster bar. Do they really? Yeah. yeah. San Diego's kind of gotten on an oyster bar kick, too, because, you know, it, it's one of those East Coast things. I mean, it really never resonated in San Diego. Everybody would come downtown and go to Ocean Air, you know, and that's a chain. Well, you Ocean know. Air I've seen all over the place. Absolutely. It's a chain, but everybody would go there because they had oysters. Nobody in town was doing oysters. So now you have Ironside Fish and Oyster in Little Italy. You know, you've got, like, every restaurant that opens up now has a new oyster bar. Okay, so that's, that's the trend. That's the trend. Okay. Yes. But where are the oysters from? Oregon? Oregon, well, you know, a lot of like Baja oysters, Kumayais, yeah. Yeah. you get, you know, Ironside actually, um, they actually partnered with a, um, an oyster farm to create their own prof- uh, flavor profile of, of oyster. 
You know, so they're raising their own. They tried like 47 different kinds and said that one's the best and the most affordable. You know, so let's bring it in and make it the Ironside Oyster. So that's it. They're, they're, they're branding their own oysters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're growing their own, you know. Now, the one thing we haven't talked about is wine. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that amazes me, um, I've you know, hung up on California wine. I get it. But Baja wine. Yeah. Most people don't realize that 70% of the wine grown in Mexico and Baja is exported. And you know where it's exported? To France. Now, what does that tell you about the quality of the Mexican wine? I think the French have—they know something about wine, don't they? Yeah, I yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, I think that yeah, they're, they're, they got past Franzi in the last couple of years. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it is really, really good. There's some amazing winemakers down there. You have to think about this. It's only an hour and a half south of the border. It's such an easy and beautiful drive. It looks like they're growing grapes on the moon because it's just desert and like it's really great, rustic. You know, I feel like either I'm going to become a decaying corpse down there. Have a really great wine weekend. Or both. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can see the vultures kind of hanging over you a little bit, <laughs> you know. But there's a place down there called Deckman's in El Magor, and is uh, now how far is that from here? Uh, that would be about an hour and a half. All right, so an hour and a half, two hours. Right. Yeah. So it is. Is two hours down there. D- Drew Deckman is a two-star Michelin chef, and he's cooking. Completely outdoors in Mexico, in Mexico, in Baja, on this winery, and he's completely uh, under these giant oak trees. This two-star Michelin chef is serving you food on picnic tables. Well, I, only, I only have one thing to say for that: designated driver. Yes. Hello, uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. For those of you who need a sense of place here, I'm literally speaking to you from the hotel, which is really the at the at the gateway to the gas lamp district right here in San Diego. It's walking distance to, to Petco Field. It's across the street from the convention center. I mean, it's eminently walkable, but once you go into the gas lamp, it's it's a brave new world because there's such history there. Uh, there's there's music, there's 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 food galore. Um, and there's such, I mean, I go back to the history of it, and of course, my next guest who knows a little bit about that, he's the executive director of the Gas Lab Quarter Association, as opposed to just Gas Lab Quarter Association, Michael Trimble. Hi, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I mean, every time I come, there are some, I mean, I'm discovering at least, at least one or two new restaurants, one or two new stores, and yet, of course, there's the stuff that, there's the stuff that never changes. But I mean, how many years does Gas Lab go back? Wow. And well, you're about to have an anniversary, too. Absolutely. Uh, 150 years, uh, 1867, is when uh, the Gaslamp Quarter was uh, basically founded back when Alonzo Horton came and uh, purchased it from um, William Heath Davis. So it's coming up on a big uh, so, anniversary. So I can do the math because I did fail high school, but I could do it. 150? 150. Yes. Wow. This April, actually. Next month. Yes, that's correct. Well, the thing is this. Has it grown? I mean, you, you, you have a limited square footage there, right? Absolutely. It's a 16 and a half square block historic district. And that's really the heart of, of San Diego, the entryway to um, downtown. So really, the buildings have been here, you know, for 150 oh, years. Sure. But I mean, when I was talking to Matt Green earlier in the show, you know, one of the things that, that we were talking about um, and before he even came on as a guest is... You know, I remember coming here in 1971. I didn't hang out in Gaslamp. 
It was a different place back then. Yeah, no kidding. A couple of tattoo parlors and uh, Navy guys who were drunk. Yeah, and the old spaghetti factory and Croce's uh, Jazz Bar. So I've been Croce's is still here, isn't it? No, Croce's has actually moved out of the gas lamp. It has. Yeah, it has. That was Jim Croce's wife. That's correct, Ingrid, yes. Yeah, she's been on the show before, yeah. Well, I remember, because I moved to San Diego in 1971, so I remember what it was like back then. It was a whole different world. It and it wasn't even called the Gaslamp Quarter back then. It was, it was uh, still had those historic buildings, but there was a lot of empty parking lots. There was a lot of uh, warehouses. There was a lot of uh, anything that you wanted, you could find in Gaslamp. And the Spaghetti Factory? And the Spaghetti Factory and uh, Croce's was uh, the first two real uh, anchor tenants down right. here. And now how many do you have? Now we have over 150 restaurants and 75 retailers, and we've got five-star hotels and loft properties and we really have the the gamut down here there's really something for everybody you lost it you lost the chargers but the padres are still here we love the padres a great neighbor to the east uh, in the ballpark district they're very involved with the association and we i mean to to put it in perspective i could walk outside this hotel and and throw a ball and hit the stadium oh absolutely it's a block away so it's right down here right right now you know my throwing range (laughs) you have a good arm looks like i could almost do it um and then there's music Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have places that play live music uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You know, you're going to have everything from flamenco to rock to, you know, we have great world-class nightclubs here, so you can uh, get a little bit of uh, dance music or jazz or, you know, it's really out there. You can, if you want to find it, you can find it in the Gaslamp. What's the most unusual restaurant you have in Gaslamp? Hmm, that's a good question because there's so many. Uh, You know, we have... You know, Persian restaurants, uh, Bandar, which has been here for 25 years, and they're up on uh, 4th Avenue, and they're really interesting. Uh, we have um, some really great sushi restaurants, you know, that are very eclectic. One of my uh, ones I like to visit is uh, Full Moon up on 5th uh, and E. They're fantastic. The chef can cut some fish like you wouldn't believe, fresh out of the ocean. Really? Oh, yeah. Full Moon. Got Full it. Moon. you got to check that out. But what about, you know, it's a very touristed place, so you, you really want to be able to make, I mean, for me, I don't want to go to a location and end up at a TGIF. I'm just, it's not me, that's, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We have a TGIF, TGI Fridays here as well. So I, I mean, no disrespect, of course. Absolutely. Yes. We have a lot, you know, we have uh, fine tablecloth dining. We have fast casual. We have, you know, places to have great fish tacos, which is, a, you know, a San Diego staple. You know, and, you, and, and there's a street fair aspect to it as well. Well, you know, uh, Gaslamp has had its share of special events on Fifth Avenue starting way back in the uh, late 80s with San Diego Street Scene. And we just uh, had the Gaslamp Mardi Gras actually last Tuesday. or So it was, you know, a few days ago. So we have lots of things that can attract not only visitors but locals as well. All right, what's the difference between a Gaslamp Mardi Gras and a New Orleans Mardi Gras? Well, it's, uh, it, it is the biggest Mardi Gras celebration east of the Mississippi. It's been going on for 23 years. You mean west years. of the Mississippi? Oh, yes, west of the Mississippi. Sorry get your, about get that. your geography right, Michael. I'm Come sorry on. about that. A little too much drinking <laughs> at Mardi Gras. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. So many people think of California, you know, as having history that started like in 1970. 
Um, and that's probably because that's when California got exposed. Uh, but no, there's a lot more history than that. And especially down here uh, in San Diego. And joining me now, uh, who's the history ambassador for the San Diego History Center, Gabe Selak. How are you, man? I'm very good, thanks. So start out with this, because in looking at your bio uh, for the geographically challenged, you're a graduate of the Indiana University of Pennsylvania. How did that happen? That's right. It's, it's in, um, the university itself is actually in Indiana, Pennsylvania, the town of Indiana, Pennsylvania. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the home of Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. You see that? Now you've cleared it all up for us. There you go. <laughs> and how did you get out here? Um, I moved out here about 16 years ago. Always wanted to live in California. I had an opportunity to do so. And so here I am. But you call yourself the History Center as right. opposed to a museum. We do have um, two different museum facilities, and we have a library and archive as well. Um, but we call ourselves a center because it's a, it's a repository for all kinds of information about San Diego. And how far back do you go? Um, we have information, documents, and things that are from Father Sarah. and The original mm -hmm. mission? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, Unipero Sarah. Right. And now Saint Sarah. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's very extensive amount of information that anybody can gain from coming to the History Center. And, you know, most people don't realize that <clears throat> all that stuff started down here and moved up north. Right, exactly. Um, the, so the first mission that was uh, established at Alta, California is San Diego. The next one was at Monterey, and then they sort of backfilled in between. But in terms of San Diego City proper, if I can call it that, because, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> I, I spent so many years in Los Angeles, and I look at Los Angeles not as a community, but as 86 separate incorporated cities in desperate search of a community. San Diego has much more of a feel of community. I, I think it has everything to do with the people who helped to establish it. Um, they, you know, they wanted a core center. They believed that this could be a metropolis someday. Um, in fact, Alonzo Horton, who but is... A, the, but a manageable metropolis. Right, exactly. Um, I don't know how manageable, but <laughs> certainly they did think that it could be a, a very large city. And we are the eighth largest city in the United States. And people don't know that. Yeah. Uh, and yet, having said that, you've got great parks, right? Balboa Park. Right, it's the jewel of our city, absolutely. And anybody who flies into Lindbergh Field will know about Balboa Park because you're flying right over it. Right, exactly. And, you're, and in fact, if you look out the left side of your window as you're flying over Balboa Park, you can look into the windows of some high-rise buildings and see what people are eating for dinner. <laughs> That's right, yeah. That's how close that, that approach is. It goes right through the center, yep. But it also is going over the zoo. Right, the zoo got established, it's just had its 100th anniversary. Wow. Yeah, it was started in, as an offshoot of the 1915 exposition. Now, I'm, I'm dating myself, but most Americans got their exposure to the San Diego Zoo through Johnny Carson and Joan Embry. Right, exactly. With those yeah. cute little animals that would sit on Johnny Carson's head and do things. Right, she became a, a great ambassador for the, for the um, zoo. By the way, if you've never been to a zoo, I mean, I grew up in New York. I went to the Central Park Zoo, which is nice. It's like a nice location on Fifth Avenue. And it's a zoo for people who never get out of New York and would like to every once in a while see a polar bear in an outrageous environment. But how big is the San Diego Zoo? That's big. Yeah, the San Diego Zoo, um, it has uh, two different locations, actually. It has the location here in the city, but then it also has a separate um, uh, place that is in um, Escondido. Right. But, I mean, you've got, I mean, you had pandas here a long time ago. Right, yeah. They've been with us um, I think since the 80s. Amazing. Mm -hmm. What would you say for the people who've never been to San Diego, or even your friends who come to visit you from Indiana, Pennsylvania, right. um, 
What's the biggest surprise to them historically about San Diego that they're not expecting? Um, I think that the fact that it, it was going, um, it was already forming and everything, um, it's kind of like the Plymouth Rock of the West. You know, it was, it was already established. Um, it is the first uh, European settlement on the West Coast. Explain. Um, well, um, we have indigenous people who have been here and continue to be here for thousands of years. Um, but um, uh, with Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo, who is the discoverer of San Diego, um, he was the first to uh, bring European people here. And then with Father Sarah and Portola, um, that's the first European settlement here. So, Sure. And then, of course, we, there's the, those are the Spanish, then you have the Mexicans, then you have the Indians. I mean, everybody's in on this. Yeah, we, we do have a very diverse and have had a very diverse uh, population since the very beginning. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go It's turned into an annual ritual. We come to the Hard Rock every year now, and uh, for a couple of reasons. One, of course, it, it's a cool hotel, but the other reason is it's in a cool location. Um, and I would, I would venture that San Diego is probably the hottest city in California right now in terms of, 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 a, of a vibe. And I hate to use the word vibe here at the Hard Rock, because they use the, vibe, the word vibe here all the time. Uh, but uh, welcome to my good friend, the general manager of the Hard Rock, and He's, he's all things hard rock, Matt Green. How are you, man? Nice to see you again. It's always a pleasure. It's great to have you in San Diego. I mean, like, here we are. You know, we're right across from the convention center with the entrance to Gas Lamp, which is the historic district, where there's so many restaurants I've lost count. You got the stadium, even though, even though you lost the Chargers, right? You lost the Chargers, but you still have the Padres. We do. We do. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're in a, basically the best location you can have in, in the gas lamp and in San Diego with the Bay and the Convention Center and, and Petco right next door. Petco Field, exactly. But you lost the Chargers. Well, I think the Chargers but, chose L.A., and, and, and uh, they're going to be missing San Diego. That, that's well, they sure. couldn't win in San Diego. Well, yeah, maybe they need to go to L.A. and have yeah. some more competition. Exactly. But what's changed here? Because every time I come down here, I mean, you're here, but I'm saying... What's around here? There's so much stuff going on. Well, I'll tell you, that's a great question. I've been working in San Diego, gosh, starting in the early 90s, uh, when you really didn't want to come downtown. And what's happening here is... Yeah, I remember downtown, it was tattoo parlors in the Navy. It, it was. And when someone asked for directions to a restaurant, if it was two blocks away, you'd tell them to take a cab. <laughs> and so times have changed, and, and people are living downtown, more business are coming downtown um, it's becoming a great restaurant city where, you know, years and years past, it wasn't the best restaurant city. Petco came down. That really started to change. And we, we are going to celebrate our 10th year anniversary this November, which Make is incredible. Make me feel old now. Thank you. <laughs> but the city is fantastic. You've got a laid-back vibe. I mean, look, we've got San You said the word vibe. You said it. it. It's, it and it's true. I mean, you've got San Francisco, you've got L.A., and you've got San Diego. This is a completely different option to these three major California cities. And it just feels good being down here. It's comfortable, you can be who you are, you can walk around in flip-flops, you can put on a sport coat. You, don't, you can be who you are and you fit in. You know, speaking of 10 years ago, there was that book, The Experience Economy. Uh, but now people are saying, no, it's not the experience economy right now, it's the, transform the transformative economy. People are looking for a transformative experience. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, look, there's so much competition out there. There's so many brands. People want to do something that makes them feel good, that they can connect with on an emotional level, and they can take away as a memory. So I think connecting with people, knowing people, and providing something that they're going to remember as an experience is how you really create an emotional connection and also some loyalty because this is a an environment where people are kind of just buying your loyalty with all these loyalty programs. Although I have to tell you, in terms of loyalty programs, uh, American Airlines did a survey last year, which was shocking. They found out that 87% of the people who flew their airline only flew it once and only because of rate. So, so much for brand loyalty, yeah, right? that's right. I mean, think about that, right? Um, I was talking to some friends of mine in Las Vegas, and of course, they've had wild transformation, as you know, because you used to work there. Um, in terms of what is driving the revenue there, what experiences are driving the revenue, and the clubs are making more money than the casinos. Yeah, it's it's incredible. If you go back years ago, um, they used to give the rooms away or low rate of rooms. And I remember when I was moving out to Vegas, and that this was about 12 years ago now. The newest thing was they were charging a premium for a pool view and a higher floor, and they found a new revenue stream. So they were so casino-centric. They forgot. They forgot. And now these entertainment between the theater and the Cirque, the restaurants, but also the nightclubs, we started at the Hard Rock out there, the whole pool party scene. The revenue from that is absolutely incredible. So the ante keeps going up. That that was rehab. That was rehab, yeah. (laughs) That was rehab. Uh, An appropriate name. Yeah, no kidding. I would stand at the side. I would not go in the pool. That was major crazy. <laughs> that was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. it, it was a great people-watching environment, that's for sure. Well, it was entertainment. It that was, was true entertainment. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.